Hello, I'm Tim Wilkins, a global partner for client sustainability at Freshfields. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to stay-at-home orders across the globe and has changed the way we work in unimaginable ways. As we emerge from the crisis, the question is, what will the new normal look like for work? And are there ways to radically transform it for the better for both business and their employees? At Freshfields, we have embarked on a collaboration to explore this issue with members of our client sustainability group and our people and rewards group. We will be presenting a series of blog posts and podcasts to discuss the key legal and strategic issues facing business leaders. For this podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by two members of our people and rewards team, Karen Samarega, a partner in our Vienna office, and Holly Inslee, a senior associate in our London office. I'm also joined by Oliver Dudak Van Heel, the head of client sustainability and the environment at Freshfields. Based on the upending of COVID-19 and the possible avenues for recovery, the question on many businesses' minds is what should be the new normal for the workplace? In this first podcast, we will consider the changing attitudes to working from home and the challenges employers and employees will face when returning to the workplace. Let's look first at uh, working from home. Oliver, what are your thoughts on this from a sustainability perspective? Thanks, Tim, and hi, everyone. Delighted to be here. So, I mean, from a sustainability perspective, you're looking at that working from home has, has two dimensions, really. On the one hand, there's the environmental dimension, right? So people not traveling to work and not traveling for work think air travel particularly has a you know has significantly improved the external environment there is less pollution in cities uh, co2 levels have dropped down significantly helping our challenges in relation to climate change so from that perspective it's it's been you know a positive sustainability story the question then becomes how much of that will stick and become kind of lasting behavior and, and i'm sure we'll get into that in a bit from a social perspective you you see a completely different dimension which is people who are typically used to spending many long hours and days in the office or away from home are now at home with their families and spending their time very differently to what they used to do. And, and as a result of that, you're seeing a very different type of interaction. As colleagues within Freshfields, for instance, you know, we, we have the, the pleasure now of actually you know, having a little peek into the person behind the role. Uh, in, in terms of having conversations with them, seeing you know, what their home setup is like, maybe having the odd child come into the picture. And you have a, a completely different dynamic with, with colleagues and, and indeed with other people that, that we typically engage with. So I think that there have been you know, a lot of very interesting changes in behaviours that, that are quite positive. And of course, the big question is how much of that will, will become the new normal, as you say. Oh, thanks, Oliver. That's really interesting. And, and Karen, I guess from an employment perspective, what changes are we expecting given the rise in working from home? Yeah, there are a number of impacts, of course. So lockdown uh, during the COVID-19 crisis has presented an opportunity for both employers and employees to experience the benefits of working remotely, which might have changed perceptions of effectiveness, efficiency uh, when, when working from away from the traditional workplace. Previously, we've seen many employers experiencing some reluctance from allowing employees or at least juniors to work from home or to work from home themselves. 
This could have been for a number of reasons, including a perception that employees are less productive when away from the office. Some, some employers may also have experienced the perception that working from home is only for those who have family responsibilities. This can therefore have a disproportionate impact on female employees, or parents at least, particularly during transitional periods when returning from maternity, creating unfairly skewed perception of remote, remote working practices. So what are we expecting in the future? With this going to change? We start seeing already an improved acceptance of working from home for all employees and where possible businesses encouraging employees to do so for, for a proportion of their working time. One point to be made, though, is that working from home does still come with its challenges, particularly at the moment when some employees will be balancing work and caring responsibilities, as Oliver just said. If this burden falls disproportionately uh, onto female employees, they miss out on opportunities uh, they'd otherwise have. And similarly, um, for people living in households with others working from home, this comes with a number of challenges that will need to be addressed. Employers should also make sure that they're thinking about how they can continue to meet their duty of care obligations because employees might feel the need to be available 24-7 based on the new, on the new possibilities of working from home. And also, for example, do employees with disabilities or who are just not as used to as more junior people to work um, remotely, would they, would they have uh, particular uh, needs that need to be uh, met by the employer? Employers may, may also be concerned about liability for costs, equipment or accidents, but that's something we'd like to cover in, an, in another separate podcast. Thanks, Karen, for starting to highlight the legal issues that employers are going to have to think uh, about in this new structure. And I also like that you highlighted that there may be a, a disproportionate impact in how we think this COVID lockdown has affected different employees. Oliver, can you talk a little bit about just the issues around social mobility, for example, and those employees? Yes, certainly. I mean, what what you're seeing in, in you know firms like Freshfields and, and many city firms, we work very hard to try and in, increase the social mobility of our workforce. We want to bring in people from, from different backgrounds, be they ethnic backgrounds, uh, social backgrounds, etc., but what tends to happen in a culture that's been in place for many, many years is that, you know, certain behaviors are set and you need to work very hard to try and change those behaviors so that you welcome people from different backgrounds in, in a much clearer way, in a much more open way. Now, that's reasonably easy to do in a normal office environment where you can have a chat in the corridor, you can go for lunch with someone and you get to know people in a different way. When you are working remotely, of course, that is not so easy. It's not so easy to have that interaction and people tend to fall back on their own known networks. So I think we as, as employees, as colleagues, must, do, you know, must, must make a big effort to ensure that we include everyone within our typical office network in the kind of inter, in, in, uh, integration that we have. The other dimension to this is that you know, working from home is very well and good, as was mentioned earlier by, by Karen, for people who have the physical ability to do that. But if you work in a, in a small confined space, say you're sharing a house with five family members, including three young children who are very noisy, it is those stress levels that Karen mentioned are significant and may actually lead people to think this may not be the place for me. I can't deal with this kind of pressure. So we need to be very mindful of those types of, of those types of behavior and really embrace people from different backgrounds, particularly in this in this current setup. 
Yeah, Oliver, that's so sensitively put um, because I know a lot of us have read the statistics around seeing the disparate impact, for example, on black ethnic minorities and members of low income groups who are suffering um, from the health impacts. But I think it's a very important point to note that in a lot of our diversity inclusion programs, what does it really mean to have inclusive leaders who can embrace the challenges that people may have where family members are sick or may have lost family members uh, to COVID-19, as well as the challenges that they may be facing in their home environment in a very different background in terms of the richness of resources that they might have available. Holly, I think this is a good time to bring you into the conversation because I would love to hear some of your thoughts about the current situation just affecting corporate culture more broadly. Yeah, and I think the impact on corporate culture could be material for all of the reasons that the three of you have outlined already, all of those different factors and different tensions that employers and their workforces are dealing with, I think inevitably are going to have an impact on corporate culture. And I think there could be some positives and some not so positives coming out of this and the positives we've heard about. So that might be people embracing flexible working and working from home in a way that perhaps they haven't done before. But diversity, I think, is on the other side of that balance and making sure that you don't lose any gains that you've made in the last few years. There's been a lot of sort of soul searching within organisations about corporate culture, real concentration on the diversity efforts, for example. And it would be a shame if that were to go backwards. And thinking about some examples, we're all in a circumstance now where we're doing calls and meetings remotely. So doing things on on video, doing things on the telephone in circumstances where we would otherwise be sitting around a table with each other. And I think you can see some situations where certain voices are just going to get a bit lost if they're not sitting around a table and doing things face to face. And we've talked about diversity in the more classic sense, but there's also diversity of thought and diversity of opinion. And actually, if voices get lost because of the way that we're now engaging and interacting with each other, I think that could be really damaging for corporate culture and if you think about it as a sort of spectrum so starting at the softer end of the scale it being about how you engage with each other with your workforce with your customers their their views about what the organization is like as a place to work you'd be looking at engagement is your mentoring program operating in the way that it used to in the way you would want it to if people are actually remote from each other Then moving along the spectrum, thinking about training. So we all know that it tends to be a bit easier to engage with the training that you're being given if you're sitting around a table or looking someone in the eye. And I think employers are going to have to start thinking quite creatively about how they might rework some of their training programs so that they get the same level of engagement and effectiveness when it's done remotely. And we talk about culture quite a lot as a risk management tool. And I think one of the clearest examples of that is speak up culture. So do people feel willing and able to raise concerns, to call out bad behaviour, to call out examples of people not really kind of representing the values of the organisation? And I think there'll be a real test for companies as to whether their speak up culture remains the same if they have prolonged working from home. I think 
they would do well to look at the data they're getting. So in the last two months, have they been receiving the same number of concerns raised through their whistleblowing hotline, for example? And if they haven't, if they've had fewer or if they've had more, what might the reasons be for that? And how do they need to sort of recalibrate their approach to whistleblowing if actually there has been a change caused by these different working arrangements? So I think for a lot of organisations, there's going to need to be a bit of a reset when it comes to thinking about culture and the approach to these sorts of issues, because our circumstances are different and people are just looking through a slightly different lens to the lens they were maybe looking through two or three months ago. Uh, Thank you, Holly. That's so interesting to think of it both as how do we take the best parts of the culture that we're working well and see if they can work in this new remote working environment, but also a chance to come up with, as you say, a resetting of new ideas that might even improve that. We do see, though, that the lockdown is easing in certain parts of the world. And I know a lot of businesses are starting to think very hard about what do they really need to think to put in place as people are starting to return to the workplace? Holly, I'm wondering if you could kick off the discussion there for just some of the the basic outline of what uh, employers should have on their mind as people might be returning to an office environment. Sure. And I think I'd put it into a few different buckets in terms of the issues to think about. And there are several that fall within each bucket. But practical first of all so organizations will be grappling with government guidelines if they're operating across a number of jurisdictions and a number of different sets of guidelines and there's practical questions about how they actually make the workplace safe how do you ensure that there's an appropriate distance between people how do you get people into the office safely if you know the london underground is their usual means of transport so some really difficult practical points there's a legal bucket of issues so as an employer what's your duty of care how do you make sure that you discharge that appropriately do the decisions that you're making give rise to any sort of legal risk in terms of choosing between employees for particular types of treatment data privacy if you're going to be doing any sort of um, temperature screening for example there's then a reputational bucket which is just as important as those first two so If you're seen to be making unreasonable demands of your employees, asking them to come back when they're not comfortable coming back, for example, then then that could be incredibly reputationally damaging. And and equally, if somebody becomes ill and they say that's because of um, a lack of care that was taken over their safety when they were in the workplace, then that will be incredibly reputationally damaging. And I think finally, there's a set of relationship related points. So What we know is that everybody's had a good few weeks to stand back and consider their working arrangements and to see what they feel about working from home. And for some people, that may not have been positive for the reasons we've talked about. But for others, it will have been hugely positive and they will have seen that actually there's a real benefit in not having a commute at the end of each day and in being around for your children's bath time. You know, whatever your personal circumstances are, you may have got benefits from the situation and and so there may be a relationship issue in the sense that employees actually starting to push back a bit and questioning you know what the old normal was and saying well why do we need to come back into the office why can't we have a bit more flexibility and and make this a bit more permanent so I think lots of different competing things for for organizations to be thinking about. Well Holly that that's a, a great lens to think through those three different ways of approaching it And Karen, I'm also thinking that as some employees come back to work, 
Will their position even be the same in this new normal? And, and how should employers think about that issue? That's absolutely right. Uh, given all these changes, you know, that we've been discussing, um, changes at least in the perception of remote working, employees may have fears over losing their employment or find themselves confronted uh, with reduced ability for progression or promotion. In respect of this, we'd recommend employers should use the current transition period not only to consider the safety and hygiene requirements, uh, Holly just mentioned, but also their requirements in respect of remote working and the use of tech more generally. The next step would then be to identify employees or employee groups who might be particularly affected. For these groups of employees, steps should then be taken to mitigate skills gaps. That's that's one of the phrases you'd, you'd use here and provide training or retraining for, for those employees so they can maintain positive working relationships and continue to identify themselves with, with their work and their employer. This uh, may also interlink with plans to introduce artificial intelligence to the workplace. So we know that some large companies are already planning for this. So, so these new considerations may interlink with that. And finally, on a more legal point again, policies on, on issues like data protection, use of IT, insurance may need to be updated to take into account these new needs of the potential new, new normal at the workplace. Yeah, that definitely sounds like the type of uh, scrambling and changes that companies should start thinking about now because this is going to happen very quickly once uh, more of the stricter restrictions uh, start being lifted. But Oliver, I'm wondering if we even take a step back and just say, okay, maybe you do have the restrictions lifted, but from a company's point of view and some of their goals on a sustainability agenda, should they be thinking about this differently, even with the restrictions lifted and employees having the ability to go back to work? Yeah, I think that's a very fair question because the reality is that even before COVID, there was a lot of talk around agile working and, and giving people more freedom and flexibility for a variety of different reasons. Agile working is now the norm, the temporary norm, uh, but the reality is people may want to keep it that way. Uh, a survey was done in the UK recently that showed that only 9% of Britons want to return to life to, that is what it was like before the outbreak. Um, so clearly there is also some resistance. People are seeing some of the advantages of this, whether it's about commuting time, whether it's about having flexibility to spend time, uh, as, as Holly mentioned, with, with, with children when they're still awake, all that kind of stuff. So, so given that that resistance is there from some employees, I suspect you know there will be a need to to take that into account. There's another dynamic dynamic to add to this as well, though, which is that it has now been proven in many ways that we are most of us, uh, most of us certainly in the service industries, are able to work from home and are able to work productively. The term "working from home" no lo- no longer comes with inverted commas. Uh, it's actually seen as a genuine, normal way to work, and in in, in many of our cases, increased productivity. So that being the case, why would an employer 
pay significant rents for inner city, uh, uh, you know, for, for city offices when they can achieve the same results by having more people work from home and having smaller offices where the office becomes a hub for collaboration and a hub for socializing, but no longer necessarily your primary workplace. Given the pressures that most companies will be under as a result of COVID, that is certainly something that will look quite attractive in the short term and may become the norm in the long term. Because let's not forget that we are going to be in some form of uh, uh, lockdown, you know, until a vaccine arrives, which in the best circumstance will be in the fall, but more likely in the new year, by which time a lot of these behaviours will be embedded. But there is, there is a, you know, at, the, at a wider social level, there's another dimension to this, which is, if that is the case, that you no longer need to be physically in the office in order to do your job, does that not mean that you're opening up the country effectively to, and the company to a much wider workforce? Because typically you had to recruit from people who were willing to either live, who lived in, 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 major cities or were willing to relocate to those major cities that may no longer be the case you can you could recruit someone who's absolutely brilliant at their job but just doesn't want to leave the northeast of england and therefore what you're getting is a greater pool of talent that you can attract into your virtual workplace and that has a, a wider societal impact because those people will be earning income in that remote workplace it's contributing to the local economy and effectively creating a sort of de-urbanization that many national policies have tried achieving in France, in the UK and in other countries. So, so there, there are very, very different dimensions to this that could actually enhance social mobility by opening up the workplace to people who otherwise wouldn't naturally come here. So I think we're, we're you know, this is in, in some ways quite an exciting time. There's, there's a, a revolution in workplace practices that that is i think on the cusp and and we'll be talking about some of these things in future podcasts as well yeah that's terrific oliver and, and what a great place to wrap things up thinking about how this could tie into businesses core strategies of being the type of citizens they hope to be in the society in terms of getting the right energized workforce, but also um, thinking about their impact on the environment and seeing that this type of agile working could have great gains that they weren't able to achieve before on the environment, but also just improving their productivity with a workforce that is so much more engaged. Well, this, this has been a terrific discussion. Thank you, Karen, Holly, and Oliver for these insightful comments. And as uh, each of you have alluded to, uh, we hope listeners will continue to tune in because we will have future podcasts where we do deeper dives into some of the issues that we've discussed, as well as taking up other issues in the new normal that we're about to face. Thank you for listening.